Friends on Film, a podcast from T.M. Lin and Michael Andrew Dynan. Episode 2, The Movies That Impacted Us. In their own personal recording studios, Michael and Teddy have put together their own lists of movies that have had the most profound impact on them. And now, the two of them will share those lists with you, dear listener. Enjoy this auditory story. Hello, hello, and welcome to Friends on Film, the podcast where two friends discuss film. I'm Michael, and joining me today at the Discord of Dim Lighting is the totally tubular Teddy. Teddy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and it's so funny that the day I actually have my light on in my room, you decide to add dim lighting, because that, that feels a little bright, I'm not going to lie. It's dim <laughs> where I am right now, just because I have my sound padding up in this one little light, and then the blue light just mm-hmm. emanating off of me. So it gives me this ethereal glow that is just Fair. quite beautiful. Uh, yes. So what have you been up Angelic. to this past week? Um, well, I'm back in school, so we're, we're getting, chucking along with that, trying to juggle that, and working, and yeah, it's all fun. But we still have time to do this, and that's all that matters, right? What about you? Oh, I've been just foaming at the mouth because, as you, I don't know if you know this, but you know James Gunn, the writer and director of Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and the most recent uh-huh. Suicide Squad movie, uh, last year was appointed the head of DC Studios, and he is going to yep. be the one to do it. Well, sometime at the end of January, we are getting his announcement. Mm-hmm. For me personally, uh, it's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time doing the entire DC universe, and he has a big plan. I know that means we're losing yeah. Henry Cavill, possibly Gal Gadot, but it's a yeah. small sacrifice for what we're going to get. I'm so I've been very excited about that. I also impulse mm-hmm. bought a ticket for Puss in Boots The Last Wish tomorrow just because <gasps> everyone so everyone's been talking about this and I've been wanting to see it. I'm like I really just cuz you know I love animation. So I'm like I'm very excited okay. for that. I will say I honestly think you're going to like the movie. I I don't think like even for me I didn't have any like nitpicky points and you know me like Mm. if there's any remake of something i am the nitpickiest person ever i will destroy a sequel because i don't like it we we don't talk about enchanted or the fact that i actually like disenchanted that one doesn't count (laughs) but yeah we don't count that one but yeah no honestly puss in boots was really really good i liked the newest one i went and saw it with my mom i think like the week it came out it was really good it was funny too oh my god well, I guess we'll have to talk about that the ne- for the next podcast for whatever comes next, which you will all hear at the end of this episode. Well then, before we dive into the show, just a tiny bit of housekeeping, everyone. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at friends underscore on underscore film 2023 for more fun stuff and possible behind the scenes work. And you can also follow us at living the dream catch me all underscored and Michael didn't believe in Insta on Instagram. And if you like what you hear, then do a friend a favor and share it with them as well. Now, with all that down, cue the emotional music. Every so often in one's life, a person has a moment that has impacted them. 
We have those events that change us or leave us with a new viewpoint on the world. And for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to talk about those movies that hit us in an impactful way. Movies that gave us a new perspective, that changed our lives, or something that has meaning to us in some significant way. Let's explore these films together and really dive into how these movies have impacted a couple people from Texas. This is our most impactful movies. So I don't know how you want to go about this, but uh, for me personally, I have like four ways I'm going to go about it, but I don't know. How are you wanting to do this today? Um, I mean, I was going to say because you went last time, or I mm-hmm. went last time first, so I was going to let you take it. My first like thing is more of like a genre than an actual specific movie, so I give you the floor. Uh, for my purposes in this podcast today... I'm going to go through my life and how movies have impacted me. My parents, since I was young, took me to the theaters to see anything and everything. So looking back Mm -hmm. on my childhood, there were a bunch of movies I could have picked. I remember I was taken to see Jonah, a VeggieTales movie, like six or seven times in theaters. I was a (laughs) huge fan of that movie. I could also talk about how much Finding Nemo hit me as a kid. That really did well for me. I could also talk about Ratatouille and how it started something just so beautiful. But for the purposes of this podcast, the whole reason I'm sitting here right now, I've got to talk about Star Wars. I mean, what can I not say about this franchise? For me personally, when I was like five or six years old, my dad sat me down and we went through the entire saga, episodes one through six. And I remember just halfway through watching them, I said, how are these made? And my dad explained that it was a guy named George Lucas who directed it and made it. And I remember I looked at the screen, then I looked back at my dad and I said, I want to be George Lucas. And just from there, I was, I was hooked. I would watch every single one of those movies from beginning to end. And there was a period of time where I could quote almost every single movie word for word. Like, it was bad how much I was into it. And Mm -hmm. what's even funnier is, it's something about me is my parents didn't allow me to watch a lot of PG-13 movies unless they had seen it. So when I was finally old Mm -hmm. enough to watch Revenge of the Sith, I thought it was so cool watching it. Because I was like, it's my one (laughs) PG-13 movie. And to a point where I could replicate, I couldn't do all the flips and stuff, but I knew the fight choreography. I could just listen to John Williams' gorgeous beautiful score and know exactly what was going on in the movie and they could just play the soundtrack and i would just be able to watch the movie in my mind with no problems and but for me personally like everything i've done up until this point i could trace back to star wars the way i go about Mm -hmm. things the way i challenge things and just the way i love storytelling i know many people are probably wondering how do i feel about the sequels or the current era star wars I don't want to talk about those right now, but I will say I like them. They're Star Wars. And I'm a fan of all things Star Wars, so I will always be happy with it. So for me personally, I would say for my childhood, Star Wars will forever hold that place in my heart as the reason I'm sitting here today. And yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about Star Wars? Um, well... (laughs) <laughs> I think I'm going to lose a lot of credibility with saying this, um, but I have gotten better since the last time we talked about this. Um, up until probably 
oh gosh, like two or three years ago, I had never seen any of the Star Wars movies. Mm -hmm. Never in my life. And I know it's such a bad thing. I, I, I know thing isn't the right word, but it's it's such a connotation, I guess, that I am a filmmaker and that I haven't seen it because in a lot of ways, the screenplay alone for the first three Star Wars is what set up a lot of how we see screenplay and how we write screenplay today. Um, I've been listening to like a lot of podcasts and stuff like that, and they said that Star Wars was one of the first films that really jumped out in the film industry and got people going to the theaters for more than just silent films. Because all the way up until that point, we had a lot of just silent films. That was what was really popular. And yeah... There was a bunch of other movies before him, before then, like Casablanca and stuff like that. Casablanca, Lawrence of Arabia. Really... Yeah. Yep. What I think is so cool about Star Wars, though, is when you talk about the silent films or the films of the 1950s or 60s, the Akira Kurosawa mm -hmm. films, all of those had an impact on Star Wars. So Star Wars, oh, I would yeah. argue, took everything that made films so beautiful and great put it into mm -hmm. a the new modern day lens and just ran with it. So, exactly. and that influenced cinema today in a way that we will never be able to, I don't think we'll ever be able to replicate again. Just plain and honestly, oh, yeah. I don't think we can ever do that again. And mm -hmm. that's a beautiful thing because Star Wars is its own thing. And sure, there are sci-fi mm -hmm. movies I think out there that are definitely better star better stories than Star Wars or better done. But Star Wars has such an impact, and I could personally rewatch it. They're my comfort movies. I will put them on any time, and I'll just be like, oh, I'm very happy right now. So for me, they're my most impactful film. And I can just see, and when you said I've only just not seen them, I guess we might have to do an episode where you sit down and watch through the Star Wars movies. How did I know you were going to, how did I know? I knew you were going to suggest, I've seen the first three, okay? I have to watch all the other ones. Well, honestly, we definitely have something to do then. Friend, but freaking... <laughs> we can definitely do that. Yes, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, actually, you know what? Bet. Let's do it. Maybe May the 4th, if we don't already have something scheduled. <laughs> you can't see him right now, but he just perked up. I'm telling y'all right now. He went, oh? <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse to rewatch the movies again, I will happily have. <laughs> Fair, but what about fair. you? you what would what? you say your um, most impactful movie came next, came up for you? Um, English is hard. I, I know. <laughs> um, I'm kind of taking the same approach as you, honestly. I couldn't limit it down to just one specific movie. Um, though instead of a franchise, I kind of, kind of, excuse my English, <laughs> I kind of would have broaden my spectrum a little bit to just being centered around movies that are tearjerkers. And the reason why I do this is because from a young age, I've always been more emotionally mature than all the people around me. I spent most of my childhood in hospital waiting rooms. So I already developed like a really keen sense of being able to like, you know, speak with adults and just like having this like other level of emotional maturity within myself and being able to express my emotions which I I love that I love that about myself and so I feel like 
growing up, I became such an empath that movies that are tearjerkers that have that emotional pull just really drew me in and always attracted me more towards them. And it really shaped the type of plays and screenplays and movies that I wanted to write, that I wanted to direct, produce, all of it. Those type of movies are the movies that I'm drawn to just because I feel like there's such an emotional connection and there's beauty in that. And so, like, some of them right off the top of my head, the, the Longest Yard with Adam Sandler. I know it's an Adam Sandler movie, but I absolutely love that one. On this podcast, we love Adam Sandler. Yes, we stand Adam Sandler. I will die on that hill again. I'm dying with you. Phrase, I'm clinging. Yay, finally, we agree on something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, All the Bright Places, uh, which was actually a book adaptation movie, I never, that was one of the few movies that I never read the book, uh, which I still have to do. It's on my list. I promise I will read it. Um, But yeah, the way they did the movie was absolutely beautiful. Oh my goodness. It like rips your heart out. Um, Odd Life of Timothy Green was another good one. Um, Yeah, no, it's just, it was movies like that, that after, like at the end, after you've cried so much and you get all your tears out, it really like not only opens you up to your own emotions and makes you feel the things that you might have been hiding from yourself, but it also gives you kind of like a renewed look on life. Like you go into the movie, you're sad, you're emotional, you're like, you know what, I'm bottling everything up. And then by the end of the movie, you've cried everything out. And it's just kind of like a relief in a sense. And you can now look at your life in a new way and a new lens, basically. I've just always loved tearjerker movies specifically because they've always done that for me. And I know it's like a stigma. Not a lot of people watch those type of movies because, oh, they make you cry. And I'm like, yes, but you need to cry sometimes. You can't ignore the beauty because without seeing the sad things and crying for the sad things, you can't really appreciate the good things in your life as well as in the movie. And all all the bright places is a great example of that. Like, if you ever want a movie that makes you sit back and really just reevaluate your life and your situation, I recommend that movie. Like, it is such a good, like, I don't even know the words for it, a perspective shifter. I know, again, not an actual word, but the way the screenwriter actually decided to end the movie the way they plotted the points, the way they had the twist towards the end, it was just, it keeps you on the edge of your seat and it pulls your heartstrings one by one. And it's just, it's it's always been like a love of mine for some reason. I don't know what it is, but yeah. I would say film, the when you mentioned just how they can give you that release of emotions, something I really love about film is that it can be very therapeutic. And I would agree with you on tearjerkers being that great thing. Sometimes you could also use the escapism of a superhero movie of like, life is super rough, but I can go back to this movie and I can just for a few hours just let my let myself relax. Or have a, sometimes, I know, I've known people who've denied their happiness. Like they're like, I don't have happiness in my life. But then they'll watch mm-hmm. uh, whatever movie it was and they're like, wait, I'm happy. 
And mm-hmm. I can say for full confidence, film and television just do that very well. And I think whenever we gravitate towards a really great story, it's just that opening up that's therapeutic. And mm-hmm. that's what's great about film is it can be entertaining, thought provoking or both. And mm-hmm. that's what makes, a, in my opinion, the best movies. They're either entertaining, thought provoking or mm-hmm. they're both of it. And so yeah. I totally see where you're coming from with tear jerkers as a genre and the longest yard with Adam Sandler. If you haven't seen, um, I think it, it's either called hustle or hustler that he started in last year. Apparently it was just phenomenal with, and he started in it. Oh, I don't think I, the last one I saw was Hubie Halloween and uncut gems. Those both uncut gems. I had to watch it a second time. Oof. That ending could not have been real. Oh. I saw it in theaters. <laughs> Same. Yes. Me and my friend were the only two people in the theater when it happened. I was in a and packed theater. Our... I was in Ooh. a packed theater and we oh. all lost it. That packed theater was just, yes, we got exactly. so into it. Oh my gosh. That's such a cool yeah. movie experience. Mm-hmm. And Hubie Halloween. Oh, I know yeah. people dog on it and everything. There's still moments that are very funny and it's Honestly, fun. Yeah. Like, a lot of the film, it was, I think what threw people off was people have this kind of, like, idea of Adam Sandler in their heads already. Mm-hmm. And so when he actually took on a serious role and a serious character in a serious movie, they were kind of like, oh, he can't act serious. And I'm like, okay, but he can. The Longest Yard is a great example, but not a lot of people know, like him in that movie the movie that made people i would say start taking him seriously was punch drunk love where he is so good in that movie paul thomas anderson directed it uh he did phenomenal and then uncut gems almost got him an oscar nomination and then recently hustler was just it was truly amazing and hubie halloween Mm -hmm. is in every sense of the word is an adam sandler adam sandler comedy and I love it. Love it. It's fun. And I'm not going to dog on it. It is Adam Sandler being gross, stupid, and fun, which is his greatest strength as a comedian. And yeah. it's either your cup of tea or it's not. Just don't drink tea while you're yeah. watching it. You'll you'll, you'll want to get rid of it. I think that's a great idea. We should do that. You know, next, <laughs> episode, next episode? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to throw up right away. I don't have a good. Oh. I don't have a good gag reflex. I have a really bad one. So, oh god, even for the reason. <laughs> oh man, if we re- end up recording that, uh, I, we better get a sponsorship <laughs> on that one. Probably, you know what? Fair, fair point. So, I come now to my adolescence, which was when I was 10 to 12 years old, and I had this is around a period of time I didn't really see that many movies, and so there were a few that like I checked out as a kid that I rewatched and fell in love with like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. I remember seeing Hugo in theaters and just falling in love with it and then being mad that this Life of Pi movie took home best director. How dare it? And then I watched Life of Pi and then I realized, oh, there's a reason this movie got nominated for best picture. But for my money, the movie that impacted me the most and I know you're going to hate this uh when I was an adolescent was James Cameron's Avatar. I knew it. Knew it. <laughs> I will say that, for, could you? I couldn't. The reason <laughs> though that this movie hit me was it was like the biggest phenomena. And as a mm-hmm. kid, you know, big things were like even bigger. Yeah. And you could not overstate 
how big Avatar was. And my parents went to go see it, and they said, you know, there's not a lot of things we agree about in that movie, but it'd be a crime to not take him to see that movie. And my mom took me to see it at the Alamo Draft House, which was my first time going there. Like and <laughs> no. <laughs> but we went to uh Alamo Draft House to see it, and I remember any time that there was a swear word or anything, my mom would lean over to me and go, Don't say that. And I'd be <laughs> like, Okay. And but I just remember being just so sucked in by everything. And mm-hmm. when I rewatched it before I saw the second one, I was just back as that kid just getting so pumped up and excited. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the perfect movie for like 10 to 15 year olds oh, because yeah. it really was just so cool. I'll admit, I agree with everybody. Story is very basic, mm-hmm. but there are things about it that are beautiful. The world building is so intriguing Mm-hmm. And Jake and Natiri's story is so sweet. Mm. And for me, it was just a movie that made me go, oh, we can make stuff like this. We can mm. do things like this now. Yeah. And the amount of passion that's just thrown into it is so great. The cinematography of that movie is, it was the first time I really noticed camera work in a movie and went, that looks pretty. And yeah. I realized what cinematography could do. Yeah. So. For every sense of the word, that was a movie that had a profound impact on me as a kid, mm-hmm. as an adolescent, because going into my teenage years, that was like a movie I kept thinking about, just like, wow, they did that. They were yeah. able to do that. That is, holy crap, we can do this with movies. And yeah. I, I acknowledge it is a flawed movie, but that doesn't mean it's not a good movie. So for me, yeah. definitely adolescent, but I know you have opinions on the first movie, so please tell me. Fair. It's it's actually really funny that you said that because I'm gonna like take what you just said and like pin it to the side because that's pretty much a beautiful segue into like my point um, or my next like my number two. Um, but yeah, no, I I still haven't seen Avatar. I still haven't seen the first one yet. I know I can see the grimps. I see you grimpsing at me right now. Um, but, no, from what I've heard, and I just remember, as, like, someone who didn't see the movie, I remember how much of an impact the first movie was. Because I grew up when it came out. I was still, I was pretty much the same age as you, about, like, 10 to 12-ish. And so I still remember, in my mind, it's still very fresh, just how much, like, propaganda, commercials, what's the word I'm looking for? How much... Just like hearsay and how much it was actually said. Like there was commercials, it won awards, there was like everybody was talking about it. It was like this big thing. And it's probably one of the like milestones we as a generation had in our lives because solely because it was such a big thing. Like everyone's gonna remember the day that Avatar came out, being like, Oh yeah, I remember that because it's a feeling. And even though I didn't actually go see the movie, I remember that feeling. Because Avatar was one of the first movies, like you said, that did what it did. No matter, like, the, the basic plot line or whatever. But it was one of the first movies that we saw that was just really out there. And that's what it basically, like, profited off of. And that's what it banked on. And it paid off really, really well. And, yeah, even from someone who hasn't seen the first movie, like, it's all about that feeling. Because I still have like a, a fond memory of the first Avatar movie 
just because it's that feeling. It's like, oh yeah, I was a part of something. I saw something great start. I saw the beginning. I, I imagine how people how people felt who watched the first Iron Man movie. And they're like, oh, I remember when the first one came out. And now they see it. And they just that feeling of nostalgia. Even if they go back now and they're like, oh, it's not as good as all the other movies. They still have that idea, that memory of like the first movie that they, the first Iron Man movie, the first time they saw it, when it came out. And now they just get to see I wonder if is. we're ever going to discuss the Marvel movies. Hint, hint, mm-hmm. wink, wink, nudge, nudge, brown chicken, brown cow. But yeah, no, that, that's my little piece on Avatar. Maybe one day I'll get around to actually watching it. But what <laughs> were you getting into with your second point there for your number two? Um... My second point was, like, unpinning it now, um, was kind of just about, like, the memory of it and having, um, like, a feeling, you know, where, like, I'm sorry, I'm off track now. I lost my train of thought. What you, you were saying, something about memory, something about emotions, a fondness, and then I went off. And that I memory of just of when the first Avatar came out. Yes, yeah. Um, well, we can also segue that into, instead of, like, my broad term on my third one, my it was about a specific genre. I kind of want to, like, shrink that a little bit down to um, classics um, because that's basically, like, the idea around my second most impactful thing. It's a specific director of classics. And I know you're going to judge me hardcore for this, but um, his movies have such a place in my heart. It's not even freaking funny. Like, just thinking about his movies right now brings me so much joy in my heart. Um, Not only because they're classics, but because it was just, again, it was just real life stuff. Like, Real life, it gives you new perspective on things, on people, on how to handle situations. Um, and I'm going to stop dragging it out. Um, <laughs> but it's John Hughes films. I I know. I know. I absolutely love John Hughes films. If anyone ever asked me who my all-time favorite director is, it's John Hughes. I'm sorry. I just, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. Uh, weird science, like all of those. Never movies. be ashamed to love John Hughes. He is. Exactly. He was the master for a long time. He was mm-hmm. the master, and oh, probably yeah. one of the greatest screenwriters mm-hmm. to ever exist. Oh, one thousand. We don't talk about Home like... Alone three. <laughs> um, yeah, no, his his films just had such an impact on me. Not only because, like, when I was growing up. Those were a lot of the movies that um, my father loved. He also loved them, so he passed down that love onto me. That was kind of like how me and my father bonded was through those movies. And even to this day, like when I went to Chicago, the first thing I did was, we're going to go check out this house. Where We saw the 16 Candle House. We saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We saw the high school. We saw the Breakfast Club High School. Like, I had to go to those places. Just so I could, like, it was just a feeling, that, like, little kid feeling of, like, yes, this is something. And even though it never, like, none of the movies ever had any sequels or spinoffs, they're still classics. 
Like, to this day, you can hear the end song of Breakfast Club, and you know the feeling. You know the scene. You can see it playing in your mind. And I think John Hughes was one of the few screenwriters, or not few, but he was one of the many screenwriters that kind of shifted the idea of films once again. Because throughout, like, film, there's always these little shifts. Star Wars was one of those shifts. And I think John Hughes' films was another one of those kind of, like, milestones where we shifted from, like, I don't even know what to call them. But we shifted into more of, like, a real-life, like, funny teen type of movie that was good and well-rounded for all ages. That wasn't just, oh, a specific genre type or audience member that they were trying to hit. And it's just, I mean, it, it stood still. It stood the stand, the, the, not the stand of time. It stood the proposition of time. I swear, I'm just, I'm tired. The test this of is, time. Thank you. The test. I should know that. I'm tired because of school. I yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. It stood the test of time. And... Yeah, no, it was really funny. I was reading, if you haven't read Ready Player Two, by the way, you need to read it. It's amazing. Little spoiler alert. There's this whole world that Ernest Klein put in the book based solely on John Hughes films. And when I tell you, I was tearing up reading that section of the book and how excited I am to see how they take it and put it onto the movie like into like a movie adaptation. <sighs> yeah. It's it's exciting. I really cannot wait. It's going to be very interesting to see how they do it. I mean, John Hughes had such a profound impact as both a writer and director. I mean, his mm-hmm. screenplay on Home Alone is still considered one of the greatest all-ages screenplays yeah. ever written. Home Alone 3. And I would argue like John Hughes writing would influence people like it's going to sound weird, but Toy Story feels a lot like a John Hughes script that he did not write. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I also argue that Toy Story is the screenplay people should go read if they want to write scripts. But John Hughes' script for The Breakfast Club is just every sort of brilliant. And because it, what's crazy about The Breakfast Club is it feels like a stage play turned mm-hmm. into a movie, but it's done in such a great powerful way that just relies on its cast just being amazing and the script being just that airtight Mm -hmm. i'd even argue james gunn takes a lot of screenplay influence from john hughes Mm -hmm. and i think you could say for anybody that what i love about john hughes is that when you watch anybody that tries to imitate john hughes today it feels forced he was a director that just understood how to make it organic and how to Mm -hmm. make it really really strong and it is said that as he got later and later into his career really after home alone it wasn't as strong as it used to be yeah and that just comes i think with the territory of you've done it for so long and you've made that many impactful things you just have Mm -hmm. to sit there and go i can write whatever i want now yeah and nobody will care Mm -hmm. And and i so i have nothing but massive respect for john hughes and what he did oh yeah no, uh, another thing, like, going off of what you just said, it takes a great screenwriter and a great director to know when the time is to kind of stop and to not keep fighting it because that's how, if you keep fighting it, that's how you get 
really bad screenwriters. That's how you get really bad directors because you keep trying to prove something. And it just came so naturally to him. And then he was like, you know what? Like, I'm I'm done, basically. He He's still, I heard he's still, like, writing, doing behind-the-scenes work and stuff like that. But it's just really cool that he was like, okay, yep, like, this is it. And he kind of bowed out in an honorable way, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. Like, he knew when it was like, okay, I'm good. His legacy stood stood up for him at that point, I guess. Absolutely. For me, getting into now my teenage years, uh, this was an interesting period of time for me uh, because you kind of met me right at the tail end of this and when I was getting into film. So you knew how I felt about movies at that time as I was growing. And at this time, I was just the guy that was like, ooh, new Marvel movie, I'll go see that. Or new Star Wars movie, I'm going to go see that. And I was super, super super into musical theater like i think you remember i think you remember how bad it was i do oh gosh flashbacks there vietnam flashbacks oh goodness that's what everyone from high school says when i mention musical theater they just get (laughs) vietnam flashbacks because i think everybody i was i had known about films and like forrest gump and everything and that was when i was starting to get into the oscars and everything but I was such a huge musical fan, and while I now have problems with this movie, there is so much that does not work about it. It's I personally think that this movie is very not well directed. It still had a profound impact on me, and I think it's the movie that impacted me most as a teenager, and that is the musical that is and that is the movie adaptation of Les Misérables. Les Misérables is my favorite musical of all time. It is a musical that I watched religiously. I own the 10th anniversary and the 25th anniversary concert. And the film version has a lot of great going for it. I think production design is great. Most of the acting is pretty good. And I think it's a, it's the film that when I saw it, I was just sucked into how cool it was. It was like this realistic looking musical. Only now mm-hmm. to realize today... Why'd you try making a realistic musical that literally the genres do not coexist? You can't make something that's real when people are suddenly screaming and singing into the camera. And now that Tom Hooper has come out and I've made Cats and we know how he treated people on that movie. um, There's a lot to say to it. But with Les Mis, it was, there was the movie that hit me really hard. It impacted me. It made me go see Tom Hooper's other stuff. Uh, yeah. Like his miniseries for John Adams. That was just top tier, beautiful okay. work. Or The King's mm-hmm. Speech being great. And mm-hmm. then he also did The Danish Girl and Uli. Oh, and cool. we have so, and there's so much to talk about with Les Mis. There is stuff I think is great about it. Anne Hathaway, mm-hmm. I mean, she won an Oscar. There is an obvious oh, reason. Yeah. And Eddie Redmayne did great. Amanda Seyfried and Samantha Barks. Just, there was great cast members. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest mistake this movie makes, though, it one, on a cinematography, shaky docu-cam style, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And then the singing live, I think, hurt the actors more because mm-hmm. it is very different from singing on stage. Mm-hmm. Because when you're from a technical level, this is dumb because mm-hmm. you are on set for 12 hours a day and you're having to sing that part of the score 
over and over. And apparently the way that Tom Hooper directed it, Mm -hmm. they would have to sing the entire song. So Hugh Jackman had to sing Bring Him Home 27 times in a 12-hour day. Also, I figured out that Anne Hathaway, when she's singing I Dreamed a Dream, Mm -hmm. she did that for two hours, and they went with her second take. And she said that she actually couldn't speak for a few days after that because, you know, she's doing the crying and everything. And I I will disagree with some people on this. If you're crying at least for once in a take, because when you're crying, there's phlegm that gets into the back of your throat, so it makes it Mm -hmm. harder to sing. I think you can do that for one or two takes, and you can do it for a night on stage. You're absolutely able to do it. Imagine Mm -hmm. what that does to your voice 12 hours a day. Oh, uh uh-uh. No. And then this is one that really got me. Um, and you can actually see this on the behind the scenes of Les Mis that just kind of stunned me. Yeah. Um, Hugh Jackman dehydrated himself to get that physique at the beginning of the movie. So he wasn't drinking water before he was supposed to start singing and singing oh. some very hard high notes. Mm-hmm. And Tom Hooper said, yeah, I didn't make him do that. Hugh Jackman did that on his own. In the same documentary, Hugh Jackman says, Hooper made me do it. Oh, so Tom that. Hooper straight up lied. Like, he straight up lied. This is where I, the movie had such a profound impact on me, but yes, I know I'm ranting about it. But, (laughs) and then finally, just from my Broadway nerd perspective, the way they had him sing live was dumb because the Mm -hmm. actors got to decide the key, the change, the tempo. They got to decide it for acting choices because Mm -hmm. Tom Hooper doesn't know how to direct a musical. So he just kept, so what did he do? He changed the entire iconic score of 30 years Mm-hmm. To make a score that suddenly makes no sense in any sense of the word. Uh-oh. And it just, it really, I see that movie and I feel bad because it is so clearly made with a lot of passion. From production design, the costuming, the yeah. acting, everyone is trying. Mm-hmm. But their director is filming it in such a way. And the thing is, it got so much praise and love that he went and made Cats and, um... I know we have opinions about how we feel about the movie, but there is no denying that when you watch the movie, you're like, this is clearly a guy who doesn't understand how musical theater is supposed to work. And what ticked me off even more, there was a musical that came out a couple years ago, a musical film called Cyrano, starring Peter Dinklage, directed Mm -hmm. by Joe Wright, who directed Darkest Hour and the Pride and Prejudice movie with Keira Knightley. This guy understands musical theater. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I'm just sitting here going, Joe Wright should have done the Les Mis movie. So while this is an impactful movie and it led me down the musical theater path, got me into theater school in New York, and then I mm-hmm. fell in love with film from there. Yeah. There is, looking back now, it, I think it impacted me because it made me grow up and realize, oh, wait, that wasn't as good as I remembered. And actually, yeah. there's a lot wrong with it that I was refusing to see like i used yeah. to vehemently defend that movie and say there's nothing wrong with it and now as i'm older i realize wait it's really really not good i don't know have you ever had any movies like that where you vehemently defended you got older and you realized oh wait not really no because like what's really funny is we both started out in musical theater we both were all stage acting, stage acting, at least specifically for me, uh, since the age of like three years old, I was a stage actor. 
And it wasn't really until like high school, college that I started making the slow transition to behind the scenes and then into film itself. So I was more of just like musical theater, like Les Mis. It was like funny. I was reliving all my Les Mis like flashbacks as you were saying all of this. And unfortunately, the audience audience members didn't get to see my PTSD face. Um, but yeah, no. So I didn't really get to see a lot of movies um, that kind of like changed my perspective in a sense. Like once I went back and rewatched them. Um, yeah, no, I'm trying to think. I don't think I had any movies that I really was like, oh, wow, that's not as good as I remember. Because the one movie that I really would like die on a hill for, I'm still absolutely in love with. And it's my number one movie that I'm about to mention in a couple minutes. And I still love that movie. I know word for word every line in that movie. And I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. It's great. Um, but yeah, no, I just think it's hilarious that we, we both started in musical theater and teching and stuff like that. And we slowly found our way over into like film. And it was all completely independently too. Which is mm -hmm. absolutely hilarious. Um, I do wonder what are your thoughts on the Lamez movie, and um, versus what you thought when you were younger and now, or if that has changed, or if you are thinking about it now. Um, it's actually funny because I, <laughs> as I was saying, I um wasn't really a big like movie fan. When it came to, like, Les Mis and stuff like that, I was one of those theater kids who was like, oh, if it's not a play, it doesn't count, right? And one of my last years that I was in, um, like, I was like a theater camp. It was like an off-Broadway kind of, like, theater troupe that I was in. Um, well, not off-Broadway, but, like, the Texas version of off-Broadway, you know? Like, one of those things. Um... It, it was one of the last years that I was actually, like, doing that because I was going to age out soon. And I wasn't in this particular, like, production of Les Mis. Um, it was all the, like, actors and actresses that I had grown up with. Like, I'd been doing plays and musicals and everything with them for almost eight years. And I just remember I went and saw them put on this production of Les Mis. And I always told myself after I watched it, I would never watch another production or another like movie or anything of Les Mis. Because that production that they put on was enough of Les Mis that I would have ever wanted to see, to hear anything. And... I never want to let go of that memory because I feel like if I watch another production, I watch another film, it'll kind of like take away from the magic that I saw on that stage that night. And so, yeah, I never went and saw the movie because I think the whole reason why they did the play or the musical at that time was because the movie was going to be coming out within the next like coming months. And so I just, I never saw it. And I've seen clippets of, you know, Anne Hathaway's performance and stuff like that because obviously she got nominated and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, I never went and saw it. Um, I've read a lot of reviews and like praise, criticism from it. Um, 
But yeah, no, I don't think I could ever actually bring myself to watching it. I, I did give in on Into the Woods, though. Because Into the Woods was the same thing. It was all of my childhood like actor friends that uh, were putting it on. But it was it had Anna Kendricks in it. It had like a whole bunch of like famous celebrities in the actual movie did. And I was like, you know what? It would be fun. I went out on a whim. And I kind of regret it. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I actually will not on this episode, but and mm-hmm. there will be a future episode where I have a very funny late, uh, not lame is, but into the woods movie story. Oh, like, geez. <laughs> it is probably the one of the funniest things ever because um, my family will never go and see a production of into the woods unless I'm in it. Um, really? There is. Uh, and I will tell that story at another day. But yeah, it was, I can feel, just right now, I know my parents are like laughing because they know exactly what happened. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And there is so much there. But uh, real quick, just as we were talking about this, uh, I want to make it clear to all our listeners, we still love theater. We're huge fans of theater. There's such a respect to it. I've seen so many Broadway shows. It was so great. But we just fell into film. That's just mm-hmm. the thing that called out to us. And for me personally, while I loved theater, the second I really got into film, it was, it felt like it was everything I was supposed to be and everything that I'm meant to be was within film. I will still happily do theater. I adore theater, but mm-hmm. film has forever uh, taken my heart in that way. So oh, yeah. that is just what we want to confirm. We do not hate theater. We yeah. really love and respect it. We're just we love we love movies. Ergo, exactly. friends on film. Oh yeah, I know. Literally, either one of us, if an opportunity to join in a musical or a play ever came up again, we'd do it in a heartbeat. Because like, well, it depends still on the player musical. Huh? It depends on the player musical for me. Eh, I I'd give anything a chance, honestly, because I just I love the stage. I think I love like stage acting as a used to be I I like to say retired actress I love (laughs) stage acting so much more than I love on screen acting maybe it's just because like when I was always in front of a camera I just I didn't like it I felt awkward I felt exposed I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I gravitated more towards behind the scenes is because I hated being on camera but I love the stage I don't know Which is where, well, I love being behind the scenes. Being Mm -hmm. on camera is just such a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a movie that I was in that is coming out sometime this year. So whenever that movie comes out, I will show my experiences on it because that was just (laughs) such a great experience. Yeah. But yeah, this was, I just think, and so I do have to say as much as I no longer love the Les Mis movie as much as I did as a kid, I will yeah. say I'm very thankful it exists because mm-hmm. it led, like Star Wars and Avatar, it led me here. And it led me to meeting you. It led me to just doing all this stuff. So very fully, we're just very grateful to be. And I'm very grateful that that movie does exist for all its problems, of which there are many, because mm-hmm. it was the movie that it had a profound impact on me. I think you can definitely have movies that you may have loved and don't love anymore that still hit you hard that yeah. you can come back and see. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, we get into segueing into that, our current lives and we are where we are currently. 
For me personally, this was actually a really tough one because I was thinking through the movies I watched in college, and there were so many. I mean, I got into Scott Pilgrim versus the World oh, because gosh. it was showing because it was showing at Flix one night, and I wasn't working that night. And I don't remember if Kevin actually got me a free ticket to it. He said, "Here's a free ticket. Go see this movie." And they even waived my meal fee, so I went to go see it at the fan expo we did, and. I just got hooked in. They were so, I was so grateful for that. Mm. I mean, just recently, everything, everywhere, all at once, being the most movie to ever movie. Yeah. And Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio hit me pretty profoundly. Mm-hmm. And thinking back to a lot more movies, but I wanted to switch it because for those listeners who don't know, I have autism and I tend to hyper fixate on so many things. So with film, I usually like to, with film, it's how I hyperfixate, it's how I see the world, it's how I can help understand the world. And this was a movie that had a profound impact on me because it made me do start, it made me start doing something outside of film that I, that I love doing now. And that is the movie Chef, um, written, directed, produced, and starring Jon Favreau, where he plays a professional chef that after several internet mishaps he decides to become a food truck man and begins having a profound impact with his cooking what's so great about this movie favreau is a director i really admire he directed iron man in iron man 2 he directed elf he is now working on the mandalorian but he was also happy the the bodyguard in iron man he was an actor but after the work of cowboys versus aliens which while fun and everything it didn't turn out the way he wanted it to so he went and made chef a film that he personally put a lot all of himself into as a writer as a director as a producer and then as an act and then as an actor it's one of his greatest performances he decided to get training from the legendary Roy Choi, who was the chef that decided to go in the food truck business and made food trucks legitimate again. And Roy Choi taught him how to cook with the one rule. All the, fil- all the food in the movie had to be real, had to be able to be eaten. Because, you know, you sometimes put glycerin on a, film, on a food to make it shinier, but it makes it inedible. Favreau said the only time to make it glisten would they sprinkle some water on it to make it help shine. Otherwise, all the food you see in the movie is real, so you need to be eating something or be completely full when you watch it. Um, But in the process of watching that movie, I started cooking. I got into cooking, and I love cooking now. It's something that I've started doing that I recreated meals from that movie. I follow Binging with Babish on YouTube where I've made some of his recipes from where he takes stuff, food from other movies and take, and shakes, shakes it up. But now I've started making basic food. That's not from film. I started just making stuff I wanted. It was great for me because as an autistic person, I'm high functioning. So I'm able to function very well within society. And, but I always hyper fixated on movies. Like it used to be like, and I think you know this, if the conversation wasn't about film or theater, I wasn't interested. And yeah, it was bad. But I would argue Chef really did help. Like I had gotten better about it, but Chef really made me go, there's so much more to talk about. And what am I doing? I'm stuck in my own little world. Stop the world. I want to get on. 
to quote the producers, but I really, it really had an impact that I didn't realize until a few months ago as I was cooking. I realized I'm doing something that I never thought I'd do just because it wasn't film related. And so Chef being that film related thing helped, but it also made me realize, oh, film is how I process the world. It's how I see the world. It's how I look at things and express things. So in that way, I, whenever I need help with anything, like I've started watching the YouTube channel Cinema Therapy and Cinema Therapy has been great about me focusing on my mental health using film as an example and how I discuss and talk with people. And it's, and in that process of learning about myself through film and understanding it and looking at myself and becoming a better person from it i mean i'm able to help co-host and co-produce this podcast because you know doing a movie podcast is more than just talking about movies there's a lot of business there's a lot of other talks we have to do and sometimes they're not the film talks you got to talk business you got to do all this stuff but i don't think i could have done that had i not had a movie not show me what else i could do and how i wasn't just the movie guy or the theater guy that hey there's more to you that you need to unlock which i think people throughout my life knew that was a thing but i never believed that myself i was thinking i was just a guy stuck in a box and in a rut and i know you you teddy you definitely saw that you saw that within me that there was more to me than just the guy who kept talking about movies and there were so many people through there that i just didn't believe myself and because people believed in me and eventually when I found films that told me there's more to you because I was always look what it even made me look at movies differently because I was like what was the director saying what was this movie trying to say and now it's well what's your now I look at movies and I'm like well what's my moral compass say what does my belief system say what do I think and feel about this movie and from there that's how I've be, how I've grown as a person and I think that, and I have to give a lot of the credit to Chef. There were definitely moments and other things within my life where that happened. But I think Chef was that final push to go, do something else. Don't be afraid to be something else. And so, for me, Chef is the movie that has had the most impact on me in my current day and age. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I'm honestly so glad that you came into your own and found yourself through that movie specifically. That's really beautiful. You should really check it out. It's on Netflix and it is, uh, don't watch it if you're hungry or be, if you're watching it, eat something because this movie will make you hungry. Oh, I know. Mm -hmm. It is so, so good. And I think you should check it out. And to all of the listeners at home, please check it out as well. It is such a fun movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I've already I've already watched it as well. Actually, it was one of those just like random movies that I just so happened to like see. And it was because of the main actor, I will admit, he was like on the movie poster and I was like, "Oh, I really like him. Let me like what's this movie?" And I got interested based on that. And I wound up really really just being enthralled in the movie, in the plot, in the character. I was just fully invested from start to end and I definitely agree with you on that about how it's just a really good movie. It makes you think. It makes you reconsider life choices. Basically, I think that's just the theme of this episode is just movies that make you just rethink everything about yourself. 
And also for us native Texans, Aaron Franklin is a major plot point in that movie. And we stand Franklin's barbecue being a big part of that movie because Texas all the way. We love it that Aaron Franklin is in it. And oh, it's so, so good. Yes. Born and raised. Born and raised. (laughs) We love that. Well. And what is your number one? I am ready. I am very excited for this. It's the fact that you, it seems like you don't even know what it is. You should know. So once again. I should, but (laughs) I am, but remember, I'm just a witness to your greatness. So please let us experience it. (laughs) So once again, I decided that I was going to shrink down my kind of like my browser, if I will, if I do say so myself. Um, so we started off from me personally just going from like a genre to a specific director and now my final movie that impacted me the most um, it's been with me for most of my childhood it is another one of those like classic type movies um, and it's just it's it goes back to what we were saying before about having that feeling that nostalgia that like just belief in yourself and I think I guess that is one of the movies that like I rewatched, but it wasn't one of those where like I rewatched it and it wasn't as good it was one of those movies that I rewatched and I really sat back and I was like wow like this is this is the type of things I want to do and um it's funny because I literally have so much if you could see my room and where I live I have so much fan posters and quotes I literally have a movie quote tattooed on my body from this movie um this is also the movie that I know and can quote line for freaking line um but that movie is the sandlot oh my god do I love the sandlot it's just one of those movies that just takes such a simple concept and could play it out in such a beautiful story and all the characters, though it's so many characters, all of them are very three-dimensional. Not one of them are two-dimensional. Not one of them we lose throughout the plot. And it's funny because I'm sitting here and I'm just realizing that like a lot of the films that I've written, my screenplays, most of them, I can't, actually, I can't think of one screenplay that I've written to this day that is just one character, or one character and then, like, their love interest. All of my screenplays that I've written have been multiple characters. Oh, wow, that's hitting me, actually. Oh, I did not realize that's so funny, and I never, I could never figure out why, because... Like, everyone's asking, oh, well, why don't you just do one character? And I'm like, no, no, no. I have, like, so many ideas for these characters and how they interact and how they're, like, together. And the literally, the one that I'm writing right now is a modern-day version of Valentine's Day. And it's all about how the their lives interact and how they come and go out of each other's lives. And then how they all kind of, like, intertwine together as, like, a web of a life, of a community. And that just, I guess, stems from the Sandlot. Like, they built a whole community within themselves, even though they were just little kids. Like, and of course, we only get to see them for technically one summer. 
But it kind of, especially at the end, the screenwriter and director, they built it up in such a way that even at the end, it implies that there was many more after that. There was more after it. There was a legacy to be built. And that has everything to do with how they started and ended it. Taking us into that future world and then bringing us back and just seeing how it all kind of played out afterwards. It's just absolutely it's beautiful and there's there's no I've never seen a movie to this date there's been close ones but I've never seen a movie that has ever given me that amount of chill afterwards that has given me that amount of nostalgia and it's even funnier because like you go back and you rewatch it and as a screenwriter specifically you can go back and rewatch it and be like oh okay they could have cut this like if you actually watch it in modern day times the first half of the movie would have been completely cut because technically that has nothing to do with anything like the, the main, it doesn't have anything to do with any of the main characters, smalls character arc. It doesn't have anything to do with the plot. It's just point blank. What I complained about with avatar two was it was just a lot of world building. And it's so funny that, like, I guess I'm kind of a little bit of a hypocrite because my favorite movie does exactly that. The whole first hour is just world building. It's building these characters. It's showing us all of these things. And you can even say, oh, well, this pool scene, the pool scene didn't need to be there. The 4th of July scene didn't need to be there. And I completely agree with you. But for some reason, whether it was just how they directed it, how they shot it, how they wrote it, it just works for that movie. And you can sit back and just flawlessly from start to finish just be completely invested in the movie without ever really getting bored. That might just be a me thing. I completely understand if that's just a me thing because I have met people who think it's a really slow-moving movie and they just they can't keep up with it. But, yeah, no, it's just I absolutely love it. There hasn't been another film that has been shot and done that way, that has been executed as well as it. So I guess that saves me a little bit of hip hypocrisy points. I'm, I'm going to say it does, just to save myself some uh, some points there. Um, yeah, there's just like a specific way about how you can do that. And it's not looked at as, oh, we could have taken this out. Though you can probably like point a finger at it, there's also enough reason that it is there and that it should have stayed there and it's just it's a beautiful movie i just can't i would say that i feel like the sandlot is the most studio ghibli movie to not be a studio ghibli movie because it does take its time it's a bit slower and i think what you mentioned about that first hour that like yeah today would have been cut but for the reasons of that movie the Sandlot moving at that pace lets you sit in that summer with those people and those friends. And that way we just get to experience it. So when the plot literally does kick in, well, you have, you know who these people are and you want to see how are these people that I've spent this first hour getting to know, uh, how are they going to get through this? And I also think what's interesting is when you were talking about like how your childhood was spent in waiting rooms and all this other stuff, I think when you mentioned The Sandlot, it doesn't surprise me that's your favorite movie because you talk about, because The Sandlot is a very mature movie for younger audiences. And I think 
by it being I think that movie is really just you in a nutshell because it's because it is a movie that's not afraid to wait and where you are you're very much I I've seen you in your waiting seasons and your waiting periods and you are way better than I am because <laughs> I am like sitting there in between something and like waiting for whatever God has for me Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm not, I am not doing well. I've got to work on my patience. And you are somebody that I just, you're so patient with how you come about things and waiting. And yeah. I just, I think that's something to admire. But I also know that when problems do arise, you're very impressive in the way that you do handle things. Mm-hmm. And when I, I've seen you, like when you are at your angriest, I have seen you at your, a lot of your stuff. But it's those moments when, after all of its release, the way you handle a problem from then on out is just, it's its admiring. It's so ad- admirable. English is hard. But you really, really, I see why The Sandlot is the movie that impacted you the most. Because when I watch that movie, I do think of you. It's a movie that every sense of the word about you as a person I can say with full confidence is you. And it's uh, and for those of you who haven't seen The Sandlot, go watch The Sandlot. It really it. is a brilliant movie because it's so simple. It mm-hmm. is just this simple summer story that I think it speaks to everybody because we all have summers like that. It's very mature, but it's also very funny. Mm-hmm. It's not afraid to be childish and I think by it be it's weird to say because in its childishness it's so mature mm-hmm. because we can just sit with these kids being kids yeah and letting them deal with a problem in a way a kid solves it and it's such a good movie and I might actually rewatch it after we're done here yeah, because of how good it is. it is and it's so great mm-hmm. no it's definitely one of those movies that just wears its heart on its freaking sleeve like it is just it is there it is who it is it does not apologize for it and it's just it shaped a lot of who i am as a person i can see it because like with that first hour you really get to see the development of these characters and how they interact and handle certain situations so that, like you said, whenever the plot does actually come in, you can almost kind of predict how each character is going to react. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love about it is, like, you can almost, like, say the line for them because you already know that it's going to be some kind of, like, snarky line from Hamilton or Benny's going to, like, be like, hey, no, you shouldn't do that. Or he's going to be, like, protective Smalls is going to do something stupid because, you know, he's the klutz. Like, you kind of feel like you're already a part of it. And I really liked it because I low-key felt like I was a part of it when I was watching it. Even now, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it. And I think that's the main reason why it blew up so much was because it's kind of, excuse my language, it's kind of a cult in a little bit, in a sense. (laughs) because It's It's a cult movie. Oh, oh, it is. Trust me, it is. I (laughs) know. It is. But yeah, no, just like the love of like from the fans and the actors and everything like that. It just became something so much bigger than what it is. And I would definitely say that that is probably one of the movies that shaped me as a person the most is just because I learned a lot of my life lessons from it. I 
learned and saw who I wanted to be. I think that was the first time I ever actually, like, saw someone on screen that I was like, yes, like, that is who I am. That is who I want to be. That is what I'm going to be no matter what. And it wasn't just one character that I fell in love with. It was a whole bunch of them. I always wanted to be snarky like Hamilton. I wanted to be wise like Benny. I wanted to be the cute little clumsy kid like Smalls. I wanted to be Squint's cute little like ass, have his like little like bubbly personality, like nobody gets him down. I wanted to be cool like yeah, yeah. Like I found so many different pieces of my personality in each of those characters. And it just, yeah, to this day, I pretty much have that movie to thank for my whole personality at this point. Just... And that's where I think movies, they are, I don't, I even last week when we were talking about how much we didn't like a movie, like how I talked about how much I did not like Morbius. Mm-hmm. I know there's somebody out there that saw that movie and was like, you know what, that impacted me. Yeah. And that's why I say even the worst movies in some way are art. And... Art is beautiful, and I'm not just talking about films that are intentionally artful, but you can look at something like Marvel, which I don't think is intentionally trying to be art. They're Mm -hmm. trying to be entertaining. But how much talk from those movies, like from the discussions they have in the Marvel films, have we brought into the real-world conversations? Oh, yeah. And I think that's what's so great about film, is even when a film isn't trying to be isn't trying to be informative or trying to be artistic. Mm -hmm. There is still merit to it in a lot of ways. So, and that's why I think just film itself is so powerful because something that maybe we didn't like impacted somebody in a lot of ways. I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard people talk about everything everywhere all at once and talk about how that impacted them. And I think it's just such an important thing to discuss and why I think it's important to discuss with people and friends about the movies that do impact you. Because when you discuss film in that way, it's it really does put in perspective just how beautiful the art form is and why we should respect everything. And even to the lowliest uh, Kissing Booth 3 on Netflix to the best picture winners of the day. We should always look at it, and even if we didn't like it, if even if we hated it, we should take a moment and say, thank you for existing, because you are having an impact. And that's why people should make movies, because they have something to say, and they're choosing to say it in a medium that allows them to say it in any way they want. It looks like that's going to be all from us today. But please tell us about the movies that have impacted you in some way. Tag us in your posts and stores on Instagram at friendsonfilm2023 so we can see how you've been impacted by films. And this today's episode, I guess, got a little bit deeper into who we are as people. (laughs) So please feel free to share and endeavor us with all of your stories as well. We'd love to hear about you and your story as well as ours. Absolutely. We really want to hear what you guys have to say about film, how it's impacted you. Even if you're not a film person like the two of us, maybe you do have that movie that made you go, you know what, that movie did something for me that has a profound impact. We really do want to hear from you guys. And hey, if you enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and listen to it together maybe. 
and afterwards discuss that topic with your friends discuss your most impactful films we because film is such a powerful thing and i think that's so beautiful to talk about Mm -hmm. i definitely agree our next episode is going to be february 1st um we're going to be discussing valentine's day movies um so definitely be back to check us out on that that's a wrap Friends on Film is produced by T.M. Lynn, Michael Andrew Dynan, and Blaine Phoenix Productions. Written by T.M. Lynn and Michael Andrew Dynan. Music is by Jared Walker and logos by Corbin Kleiner.